Welcome to Kohler Mania. Today we're going to get into Revelation. We have been going through chapter one for the last, I believe, four or five podcasts. But today we're going to get through the rest of the chapter, we hope. But let's go ahead and get started. I'm Tanya. And I'm Michael. All right. And I think we're going to pick up on verse 11. Yes, as you recall, we had John on the Lord's day was in the spirit and he heard a voice behind him that was so loud it was like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it back home to the seven churches, which is also to all of us across time, the church across time and individual believers. And in verse 12, John turns around to see the voice that was speaking to him. And when he turns around, he saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white like snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, I want to stop right here for a moment, because if you're familiar with some other prophecies, this has got to jump out at you as a very familiar description. And I want to look at that prophecy back in Daniel, Daniel 7. And as we're going through this, I want you to notice whether this sounds very familiar, that perhaps John is describing what he's seeing, this figure, this Son of Man figure, that he is seeing if he's using the same descriptions that Daniel uses to describe what he saw in his apocalyptic vision. And if you look at Daniel 7, starting at verse 9, we see a vision here where he is seeing into the spiritual realm, apocalyptic vision again, and he first sees The throne itself, as we see in verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. God the Father, Yahweh himself, the Ancient of Days, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. His throne had fiery wheels. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands attending him. The court was seated. The books were open. You have this grandiose scene of God the Father. And then if we skip down to verse 13, we see the vision turning to this one that was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. We spoke of that before in last podcast to approach the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This son of man is the Messiah that many of the prophecies spoke about. Then if we skip to chapter 10, starting in verse 5, we see a description of the Son of Man. He says, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like 
a precious gem, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw this vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And skipping down to verse 12, so he said, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So we see this mm-hmm. description of the ancient of days. It's very similar to to Ezekiel's vision as well of for the ancient of days, which included a throne and flaming wheels. And I just wanted to point out something in chapter forty three, verse two, where he said, I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice, the ancient of days, Yahweh himself, his voice was like the roar of rushing waters. If you ever been near Niagara Falls or any other big waterfall, when you get near, it is so loud, you can hardly hear someone talking to you next to you. And he's describing this voice as being like that, so loud, so grandiose, as being like the roar of rushing waters. So did this sound a little familiar to you when... Daniel is describing the Son of Man as a, as having a head and hair white like wool, white as snow, had a voice like the sound of rushing waters, had a robe to his feet, a golden sash around his chest, feet like bronze glowing in the furnace, a face like the sun shining in all its brilliance, eyes like blazing fire, and John as well fell at his feet as if dead. He set his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Doesn't that sound very similar to what we just said, where the Ancient of Days had clothing white as snow, hair white as wool, voice like the roar of rushing waters, the Son of Man dressed in linen, a belt of finest gold around his waist, body like a precious gem, arms and legs like burnished bronze, face like lightning, eyes like flaming torches, voice like the sound of a multitude. At the sight, Daniel had no strength. His face was pale and helpless. And he set his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Sounds very familiar, does it not? Whenever you see something like this, this is great exegesis. You got to be like, I know Mm -hmm. what this, this sounds too familiar. Where was this in scripture? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is in Daniel. I've got to look that up and see if it is familiar. And And when you see it, it's like, wow, this is almost exactly alike. Why is John making an obvious reference to Daniel 7 and 10 and Ezekiel 43.2 in the description, in John's description of the Son of Man. And if there's any differences, is there any significance in any of the differences you see? And I myself was intrigued, and so I had to put these descriptions side by side. And so I put Daniel 7 and 10 description of the Ancient of Days and Son of man side by side along with Ezekiel 43 2's addition to it and then put John's description of the son of man beside that and lined it up to see what was the same and what's different hopefully we can put this in some podcast notes or whatever for people yeah. to see as well so they'll know what what we are referring to mm-hmm. but as we are all hopefully kind of looking at 
this is a great exercise in exegesis that scholars do as well when someone is obviously referring to another area of Scripture. First of all, why is John making an obvious reference to Daniel 7 and 10 and Ezekiel 43, 2? I believe that he's referencing prophecy so that we can see that the prophetic word is actually happening. And so John is expressing all the things that he's seeing that was already prophesied through these prophets, Daniel and Ezekiel. Right. Back to the explanation about how this is not a whole new revelation completely out of the blue, disconnected from the Bible. This this is a part of a whole body of revelation, and John recognizes that, that he's expounding upon all these revelations for thousands of years, expounding upon what Jesus said about the end times, what Daniel, Ezekiel, and all the prophets said about the end times. And so he refers to a lot of the Old Testament. And so here he's already pointing us and to the prophecy by Daniel. He did that in verse 7 when he said, look, he's coming with the clouds all of a sudden in everybody's mind. If you're familiar with Daniel and the prophecies, you're like, wow, he's quoting Daniel. So already turning our gaze to Daniel's prophecy. And then when he starts describing the Son of Man, one like a Son of Man, he's using words that was described in Daniel, where he said there was one like a son of man, which is kind of interesting for John to say it that way, because if you think of John, he described himself as the one whom Jesus loved. That's the way he described himself in the book of John. He was at perhaps the, looks like the only disciple at the cross with Jesus, could not leave Jesus alone to die alone. And he was with there with his mother and Jesus put his mother's care into the hands of John to take care of her and watch over her. He was one of the three disciples in the closest circle, inner circle of Jesus, Peter, with Peter, James, and John, were the inner circle of Jesus who prayed with him before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were the only ones there to see him cry in, in anguish with drops of blood, asking for the Lord to give him strength, and if there's any way this cup can pass from him. Only they could see that, and there was other things that he could see. He leaned on Jesus' chest during the Lord's Supper. This was a disciple that was so close to Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, and yet he's saying there was someone like the Son of Man. It kind of seems a little impersonal, you know, and it's possible he may not have recognized him at first, and that could be an explanation for that, but he certainly would have recognized him by the time he was writing this down. He could have described this as, this was Jesus, the one I loved more than anything in the world. This is Jesus. He's back. This is my friend. This is my brother. This is the Lord himself. But he describes him almost distantly, like this is like a son of man. Why is he doing that? He's, he's pointing us to Daniel's scripture. It demands that you go back to, to the description in Daniel to see if there's some similarities in there. And so a good exegete, a person who's inter- looking to interpret the Bible, to examine what it is saying— has got to go back to Daniel 7 to look at that description and see if there's any similarities. And if he's using this exactly as a description, and when we do that and we line them up side by side, the description that was done in Daniel 7 
and 10, as well as Ezekiel 43, 2, the description of the Ancient of Days and Son of Man, and then look at the description that John had of the Son of Man, and we put them side by side and compare them, we see some striking similarities. He is obviously describing the Son of Man as Daniel did, and, you know, why is he doing that? And if we know why, because he wants to us to examine the two the two together. And then when we do that, are they exactly the same then? They're not exactly the same. If there are any differences, why are there differences? And, you know, are there significant reasons for those differences if he deviated then some from the description? So hopefully everybody can look at the same thing we are looking at when we see these two descriptions side by side and take a moment to see if if you see any differences in this and if there are significant things you see in in the description. Um, but when you look at this, what do you see? I see amazing things. So I know when we did the, the first Bible study with our small group, you gave us homework. <laughs> <laughs> and the homework was to go and take a look at these verses and compare them. But I didn't have an opportunity to be part of that Bible study this last time because I was serving with the kids and love, love the children. But looking at these comparisons, we know that John was very scholarly. Obviously he, he knew the scriptures. He knew the prophecies that these prophets proclaimed. And we see that through scripture where scripture references scripture. Jesus references scripture and it just all comes together. It's absolutely amazing. The things that stood out for me, looking at Daniel and Ezekiel and then looking at Revelation, and we were talking a little bit about this, but just to kind of share with our listeners, the things that really stood out to me was the sound of the rushing water. I mean, those comparisons were the same but the things that stood out to me the most are going to be, you've got Daniel saying arms and legs like burnished bronze. Then you've got John saying feet like bronze glowing in the furnace. The furnaces are hot. And immediately I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a glowing furnace. It was so, so hot that people could see it's glowing and then burnished bronze. I mean, that's bright, but John seems to be more specific here when he's talking about it's, it's a glowing, it's big. And then you've got the, the other parts where it says, Daniel says face like lightning, but then John says face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. If we look in the sky and we look at the sun, we can't look at it that long. The sun is so bright that it makes our eyes begin to tear up. And I don't know about everybody else, but it seems like my eyes tend to go like black. I I can't see. It's like spots everywhere. And it's so bright. And it's just such an emphasis because with lightning, I can look at lightning. I can see the lightning just shining through the sky. And it doesn't really hurt my eyes because you've got the backdrop, right, of the, the clouds being black 
or it's a darkness there. But with John's emphasis of it being like the sun, it gives me more of a magnitude of like, man, I can't with my own human eyes look at the sun without tearing up and like I have to turn away quickly because I'll go blind. And then just to take a couple more minutes here is the eyes like flaming torches versus eyes like flaming fire. Daniel says flaming torches. I immediately think about the Olympics, right? These guys are carrying a torch and the flame is sticking up and you can see them coming, but it's not like super bright. But then when you think about blazing fire, I think about forest fires. You can see them just so far away. It's so magnified and bright and just blazing as, as John says. And it's to me, those are key differences that John is experiencing versus what Daniel is seeing, as well as Daniel's description of at the sight had no strength, face was pale and helpless. John says, fell at his feet as if he were dead, dead is like you have nothing less. You're just, you're dead. There's nothing else. And it's a very deep description of there's nothing else you can do. You just die and that's it. And then the very last one that just stands out to me is Daniel says, he set his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Then you've got John that's very specific. He says, he set his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. In the Bible, we see these emphasis about the word right. He sat at the right hand of the father. He's on the right. His right hand will lead me. There's something really significant about the right hand. I don't have all the answers to that, but that really stood out to me. It's a very dominant, like I'm a right hand person. And when I write all my dominant traits to write, to pick up are on my right hand. And so I don't know if that is deeper than, than what I'm thinking, but those are some really big key things and differences between what Daniel claims and what John claims. And they just stand out to me, especially the eyes and the right hand and the glowing in the furnace. Those are pretty deep. Yeah, and I think you point out some really good things here. I didn't, and that's what I love about this exercise is because everybody's going to see something differently and things that, oh, I didn't even think to, to look at, at that. And uh, everybody can find different things. And, you know, some of the differences might not be significant. It could be really a difference, a distinction without any really difference to it. Um, some of it could just be stylistic differences in some way. But I like what you picked up on here, where John is obviously using the same description as Daniel did. It's too similar not to be. He's going with the same description. These are all similes. It was He's describing what it could be like. He could have picked anything to describe what it's like. He could have described his voice like a loud earthquake if he wanted mm-hmm. to. But he dis- he he chose the roar of what rushing water, the same description that Ezekiel used. There's got to be a reason for th- those similarities. And then when there's a difference, why 
then did he deviate? Now, of course, he was on the island of Patmos, so he might not have had a scroll of Daniel, and he's going from memory, and that could also explain maybe some differences in just trying to recall from memory what he knows was said in Daniel. But is there a significant deviation to where I think there might be a theological reason perhaps for it? And I like what you picked up on, where there's some aspects where John magnifies and expands what was said in Daniel. So to see eyes like flaming torches that Daniel saw, it's like John says, oh, I see your flaming torches, but that just does not quite Mm -hmm. describe what I saw, the magnificence of Jesus' eyes. His eyes were like blazing fire. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm going, I see your flaming torches and I add to you blazing fire because what I saw was more like blazing fire than than flaming torches. It was just that magnificent. Yeah, it reminds me of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like I just said. It's blazing. The The furnace was just blazing. Yes, and, and like the face, like lightning, and I see your lightning, and as John is like, well, his face was more like a sun shining in all its brilliance. You can look at lightning and not be blinded by it, but you look at the sun, you're going to be blinded. It. So it was even more so than lightning. It was like the sun. Was there anything else that you saw in here? You talked about the right hand of that. I think that's that's significant. I yeah. mean, if you've got Daniel that said his hand was placed on me and said, do not be afraid. And now you have John who's saying basically the exact same thing. He said his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. But he added right there's got to be a significant reason for that. And, and I think you're exactly spot on when you picked up on the right hand was your hand of power, favor, and blessing. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody sat at your right hand, mm-hmm. that was a place of favor. That was a place of, of power and significance. If you were a guest at someone's house in the Hebrew time, in the Bible, they, they actually sat you according to how close you were. Um, that's why when the Last Supper was occurring, th- there was a discussion among the disciples about who was the greatest. Why? Because that was going to determine the seating order at the Last Supper. Those who were closest to Jesus would sit the closest. That, and especially if you were sitting on the right side, that was the most favored side. And blessings, whenever you blessed somebody, you would place your right hand a favor on that person, and then give them a blessing from God. So this was an area of blessing where John is making the distinction. He not only set his hand on me, but he set his right hand on me of power, favor, and blessing, which is very key when the next thing that Jesus says, he says words of comfort that come up uh, that we'll examine here in a second. But one, a couple of things that, that jumped out on me is when I put these side by side, Daniel's description was not only of the Son of Man, but it was also of the Ancient of Days. And when we look at the description of the Son of Man in Revelation, John uses descriptions about the Ancient of Days to describe the Son of Man. So that jumped out at me where I see where the Son of Man was described as having hair and a head white like wool, white as snow. That's how the Ancient of Days was described, as hair as white as wool. And uh, the Ancient of Days was described in Ezekiel as a voice like the roar of rushing water. And the Son of Man was described as a voice like the sound 
of rushing water. You could have described Jesus' voice any way you wanted to, and in fact, he did before by describing his voice as a trumpet. But he's making the very distinct purpose of describing the Son of Man's voice in the same way that the Ancient of Days' voice was described in Ezekiel 43.2. Have any thoughts on why the Son of Man is being described with how Daniel described the Ancient of Days? I would say because he's the beginning, the Ancient of Days from even when Adam and Eve were on the earth, he's recognized as the only one. Right. In other words, Yahweh himself. I think this is another example of John's high Christology, Mm. where he is making the point that Jesus is on par with Yahweh himself. He is not only a man. He had to be a man to die for us. But John really wanted to emphasize how much Jesus was also God himself, the word made flesh that existed beforehand, and nothing was was created without Jesus, that Jesus was on par as co-equal person of the Trinity. And he's just making another statement of that when he describes the Son of Man, Jesus, in words that Ezekiel and Daniel used to describe Yahweh himself. This would be blasphemy in the time of the Bible to use such words like this if it were not true. And this is what got Jesus condemned when uh, it wasn't just for being claiming to be the Messiah. People claimed to be the Messiah, and it didn't necessarily get them killed and persecuted as blasphemous. Somebody had to be the Messiah, and that wasn't blasphemous in and of itself. What was blasphemous is that Jesus used very definite words to describe himself as God himself. It was even asked very specifically, enough of all this, enough of all this, are you the Son of God? And Jesus used the words, I am. Mm-hmm. In other words, I am Yahweh. I am God himself. And the next time you see me, I'll be coming in the clouds. <laughs> like, yes. like the prophecy in Daniel himself. And that's yeah. what got Jesus killed. Daniel prophesied about this God, man-like figure that was God approaching the throne, but he was also a son of man. He was like human. And people didn't quite understand that. And they had a, a vision of the Messiah as being this powerful prophet, the most powerful prophet there would ever be, but never really thought of the Messiah as being God himself. So it was blasphemous to say that you were God. But Jesus taught, you kind of misinterpret the prophecy, the Messiah would be fully God as well as fully man, and that I am he, I am, I am the great I am. And John makes every point with this high Christology to make that point that Jesus is the great I am, a member of the Trinity. So I would challenge everybody uh, to hopefully have this description that we're looking at that you can look at as well and see what you see. See if you see any um, what you see there are significant differences and comparisons that look alike and and what John and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing here by describing the Son of Man, Jesus, in Revelation in the same words as the Ancient of Days described in Daniel, Ezekiel, and the Son of Man in in those books of Daniel and Ezekiel, see what you see and see what you come up with and message us as to what significant aspects that that you find. But in picking up in verse 16, 
we see that in his right hand, he held seven stars. We learn later here in a minute that these are the angels of each church. Again, he has them in the right hand. The the hand of power, favor, and blessings are the angels of the seven churches that he holds in his hand of power, favor, and blessing. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. It's interesting that he doesn't use like here. It's, he's not describing that this was like this, but that whether this was, he saw in his vision, out of his mouth coming a double-edged sword to perhaps describe judgment from God's word, that the sword of the Spirit is God's uh, is God's word that was said in Ephesians 6. Um, so God's word and his judgment comes first in judgment. And then when I saw him, I fell at my feet as if dead. Then he placed his right hand of favor, blessing, and power on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. Mm-hmm. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Mm-hmm. Hades was that general term in the Hebrew was Sheol, which in general meant a place of death in general, but in context could also refer to hell in some in some way. So Jesus is is saying that he holds the key to eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. It's a narrow way, only through him. And he holds the keys to that. And Jesus is making that, that statement here for us to take hold of. And he says, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. This is said to be the outline, a very concise form, par excellence, as John has done, being very concise as writing a outline of the whole book or the whole letter, right? Therefore, what you have seen in chapter one, what is now in chapter two and three, and what will take place later in chapter four through 22, outline of the whole book, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. So Jesus wants to make sure, make no mistake, I'm going to give you a clue as to what some of this imagery is, and I want to make sure you don't miss what the stars and the golden lampstands stand for. The seven gold lampstands is this and the stars. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the churches. So the seven stars are the angels. I think it's pretty interesting to see how definitely how stars are used for angels. We had Jesus who was referred to as as the bright morning star. And the the devil, the great counterfeit was Lucifer. Name means morning star. So we have that reference to the stars uh, for angels. But what about the seven lampstands? Why are lampstands used as symbolism for the seven churches? Thoughts on that? The last seven churches that are standing, the churches that you just talked about, the seven churches you talked about in verse 11, which are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum. Yeah, the seven the seven lampstands are the seven churches that are going to be described in chapters two and three. Yeah. And the lampstands are used as symbolism for those seven churches. Jesus wants to make sure that that's not mistaken that symbolism is not mistaken but why use why did yeah, jesus why use choose lampstand lamp stand standing for the church 
Um, I think it's kind of a direct reference to Matthew 5, mm. starting in verse uh, 14. You are the light of the world. Mm. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp mm. and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, mm -hmm. and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The church and all the, all the believers that make up the church are the light of the world. We are to point the way to Jesus, and we're not to hide that under a bush, be a secret agent for the gospel. <laughs> we, we are to be out there, a, a city on a hill which just can't be hidden, a light in the darkness, point the way to the truth. We are to put our light on a lampstand and not hide it under a bush. So that is what the church is. And, and Jesus, in, in his letters to these seven churches, in some of the warnings, he says, if you don't shape up, I'm going to take your lampstand away from you because you're not being that light. You're not being a good example mm -hmm. for me. And we are to be the light to the world. And so that's why that's, wow. that lampstands are, are used as imagery for, those, for the seven churches to remind us of our responsibility mm. to be that light to the Gentiles. Wow, that, that's really good. See, I learned so much from you. <laughs> I do. Um, no, that that's really good. I did not put those two together, being the light of the world, because that's exactly what we are to do. And man, that's sad to to think that Jesus would take our light away. Like you're not taking the responsibility about telling people about who I am and to help others know who I am. And so I like what you said. We have a great responsibility, as Jesus said, go out there and have the great commission, right? That's why all these martyrs died, right? They went out because they believed that Jesus is the son of God. And so we as believers today need to have that same lamp, that light. We need to be um, not the secret agent, like you just said, the secret Christian, I think you said, and People need to know what we stand for, what we represent, and we will not be shaken of any kind of cultural way. We're going to stand on the word of God. And that's what God is saying. That's what Jesus is saying right there. And that is, that's really good. That's real good. But I think that this brings us to the end of this podcast because we have tackled now chapter one which is super exciting. And it's just, it, it makes you desire to continue because now we're going to get into the churches and get into all the specifics about the churches. Like we just went through in the last podcast, talking about the different churches and the details and what God, uh, what Jesus rebuked each one for. And so now we get to go into depth of each of the churches. So that's really exciting. Yeah. So the foundation has now been laid. Yes. Great foundation. I just can't get over that, how well this is written to just mm -hmm. lay the foundation for the whole book. I mean, the very first sentence itself, the phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ tells us so much about what this whole letter or book is about. And then this very short chapter just says volumes of theology and lays the foundation about what the rest of the book is about in such brilliant and concise fashion. So now we're, we're ready to 
to begin the body Ready to of, move forward. of the letter and yeah. start with the seven churches as we examine ourselves as individual mm-hmm. believers. We examine our own church fellowship to see what Jesus would say to me if he wrote a letter to me, if he mm-hmm. wrote a letter to my church, what would he say? What commendations would he have for me and what criticisms would he have for me to say, wake up, believer, wake up. This is what I, you're doing some great things, Mm -hmm. but this I have against you. Mm -hmm. Wake up. You can do this. And let me encourage you on how you can become an even stronger believer Mm -hmm. for me and be that light to the world set on a lampstand, not hidden as a secret Christian. This is so awesome and so encouraging. And yes, we do need to examine our hearts. And so I encourage our listeners to examine your heart, stop and pray and ask God where you are here in this and that may God light a fire back into you so that you can be a light to the world and your mission field begins at home. And so we have a great responsibility at home to raise our children, to know Jesus Christ, to be a light to our husbands or to our wives. And then we need to go out into the world and be encouraged because we're all in this together. As John said, that we are partners in the tribulation and we have that patient endurance only through Jesus Christ. So thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to getting back into the book of Revelation until next time. God bless. bless.